Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. I think I'm friends on Facebook with terrorists. How so? <laughs> Look at this chick. Uh, it's like it's like what? Why did she even add me? She lives in Pakistan, and like you look at some of the comments, and she speaks like, <laughs> "Well, so be ah, why so hot?" Hold on, uh, Alana Johnny. <laughs> what does all this crap mean? Gar lejao yar, please inu. <laughs> What is Chupki, Chupki? Chupki, Chupki! I mean, show me your boobs. Four weeks in a row, Mr. Mr. Luke, oh, I, in, I in studio. It's amazing, right? <laughs> Although, with Luke, I have to say, you know, yes, get it, here by 6 o'clock so he'll at least arrive by 6.45. Yeah. He also has to bribe me with beer. <laughs> yeah, bribe me with beer. And, <laughs> and we got Mr. Rob back today. Barely. barely. Yeah, barely. Just dro- drove all the way back from Michigan this morning. Ugh. Just yeah. got back like what, a couple hours ago. Yeah, I had time to swing by McDonald's and grab a six pack before I came over. I yeah, like, man, that's a, that's that's devotion, brother. <laughs> nice, dude. Yeah, I give you props. No, but I had to. If I stayed at home, I would have had to mow the lawn. Yeah, see, there you go. Yeah, man. So it's like I got to go do conspiracy over. I'll see you later, honey. Right, exactly. <laughs> I'm not mowing the lawn. <laughs> had some uh, pretty good response about the uh, George Guidestone show with Doctor Future, um. Got about to, at this point, I think we're around about like 1,300 downloads on it. Whoa. So, and I posted it up on Monday morning, last Monday morning. And since, you know, you guys listening to this, that was uh, Monday the, was that the 13th? Yeah. Of July. So, 
Yeah, I've got some good response on it. Put it on a few forums out there that I'm that I'm a part of on Facebook and. Chris Luke's stuff's going off over here. I'm popular, bro. The, the, what you, you are, man. You are popular. But uh, this has been a crazy week. And I kind of want to say this for after the show, but or after the interview we're going to do with Thomas Fusco, but uh, some stuff has really hit home for me, like almost quite literally. You know, I live... Well, we're here in Nashville, but I'm originally from uh, Chattanooga where everything happened, everything went down last week on Thursday. So I want to talk about that a little bit. But right now, at the moment, I don't think I could really do it justice. So we'll we'll, uh, we'll do that after the interview. But Luke, how was your day today? Dude, I'm I'm just burnt out, man. You, you expect me to say some stupid things on tonight's show. <laughs> it's it's going to happen. Like, this, this beer right now it's is like, just like... Oh, dude! Oh. This beer right now is like resuscitating me, man. It's, it's bringing me back to life. <laughs> <laughs> it sucks out there right now. Like it, it's like over a hundred out here. Yeah, right now. It's, it's ridiculous. And Rob, you, Rob was telling me right before we started that uh, in Michigan it was like fifty degrees at night, <laughs> yeah, and like was, seventy was, degrees yeah, during the day. Blowing, birds were tweeting. Now all the birds <laughs> yeah, are like been... fried chicken wings on the pavement here, man. Dude, it's been brutal outside. It's been we've had like what one hundred and five, hundred and six degree wind. Like <laughs> what is that? Uh, heat indexes, and it's been like ninety seven, ninety eight degrees. It's like it's 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 just too much to even like go outside. It feels like you're gonna melt, you know. So yeah, yeah. You went out to biking today, apparently. Is what yeah, you said. I mean, like I always I always overdo it. Like I always push myself a lot harder than I should. Like I forget that I'm fat and I still think I'm a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> I, I still think I seriously like I still have like the mentality of a teenager. So I'll just like get out there and just like start riding as hard as I can. And then I'll get like halfway through the trip and I'm just like, oh, dude, this sucks. <laughs> you can't be fat if you're going to like, you know, bike in 10 miles. I, I am. Yes. For our <laughs> listeners that uh, have not seen me. Yes, I am fat. <laughs> not not to the extreme. I'm not obese, but I am chubby. Well, you know, I guess that will make two of us now, right? <laughs> uh, anyway. Yeah. One time I was driving down the road. I was driving down this uh place like kind of like north of north of nashville like around the area called rivergate mall and i look over and i see this guy like riding a bike on the opposite lane and i'm like that looks like luke <laughs> <laughs> just some like bearded scruffy dude yeah. with, with gauges and i'm like is that luke and i'm like nah it couldn't be and then i think you posted something on facebook like it was me i was like yeah i just barked all the way to rivergate yeah, I mean, I mean, back the- to donaldson which is like what was that like 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 15 miles or something yeah or, or more man i just i like whenever the weather permits man like i like taking these marathon bike rides across the city and it gets pretty dangerous yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely i mean ever has you ever have you ever been like almost hit yes i've, I've almost like i've had uh semi trucks go by me like a foot from my bike and stuff like Dude. that and and uh yeah I, i've That's had crazy well i mean we have a greenway here that basically like yeah but just virtually almost go, i know almost but it downtown. gets boring after a while i mean if you bike as much as me you're just like i don't want to do that again yeah. you know but have you done your like bike to murfreesboro which no you know, no it's well, not from here that's about like was it 30 miles away that's 45 minutes or more in a car yeah but like yeah. um it's about 30 i well i don't know it takes me about 45 yeah. but anyway depends uh, on where you're going but 
Yeah, my my girlfriend is not down for it. <laughs> she, she's like, I'm not doing that. I mean, I could do it alone, but it's going to take me like a whole day. Yeah, you know, so yeah, it'll take you a whole day, and then you'll have to just find a ride back. Yeah, you know my brother will do that again. Yeah, I was going to give my brother give me a ride back. <laughs> you might just want to have him follow you. Yeah, yeah, true. I'm, yeah, I'm like pass out like halfway because right. like I I don't like taking rest, man. I try my best. I was like, no, you don't need a rest, and I'll keep like I'll start talking <laughs> right. talking shit to myself and everything, like calling myself names and and profusely sweating. You know, you're just like you're just like your own drill sergeant. Yeah, I'll I'll fall over dead. <laughs> all right guys there's nothing else to add uh we're about gonna call the guests here in about five yeah, minutes so we're gonna we're gonna since all of that had so much to do with the the paranormal well, whatever it's, it's just witty banter you know it doesn't matter <laughs> not everything has to be conspiracy and especially after this damn week jeez uh, crazy just craziness but like i said we'll get into that later yeah really if, if, uh, if people are listening to your shows back to back they'll have a hemorrhage right hey you We've got Thomas Fusco coming on, and he is the author of a book called Behind the Cosmic Veil, and we're going to be talking about his theory with a scientific basis of the paranormal, and where he thinks like the root of the paranormal comes from. So this should be a really interesting and, I think, deep discussion. I'm sure that uh, Luke's brain deadness will add some, <laughs> some much-needed much humor as well. So. Deep discussion. <laughs> deep discussion, We're going bro. deep, bro. <laughs> All right, on that note, let's uh, let's take a little break here. We'll be right back on Conspiracy Normal. We're back on Conspiracy Normal, guys, and on the line we have Mr. Thomas Fusco, and we are going to talk about his book, as I mentioned before, Behind the Cosmic Veil. And there's a car alarm going out off outside. <laughs> apparently, it wasn't me. I didn't it. It's probably my car. I don't have anything in it. Okay. But uh, anyway. Uh, Thomas, we want to welcome you to Conspira Normal, and uh, also just real quick, you are also a fellow traveler, a fellow co-host on um, the IPBN Radio Network, and uh, thanks for coming on Conspira Normal for the first time. Well, thanks for having me on, and uh, yes, we are fellow travelers on that particular spacecraft. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was, uh, uh, this, actually that branched from a conversation that I had had uh, late last year with uh, Scotty Roberts and John Ward. And uh, I had had a number of people uh, on different uh, internet radio networks ask me, well, gee, you know, why don't you have a show? And had a lot of people telling me, gee, you should be on radio and, and all that. But I just couldn't picture myself on that side of the microphone. But what I did was I told these guys, look, if you guys ever get in uh, uh a radio network together under your umbrella and you want me to do a show for you, I sure as heck will do it. And uh, I was one of the first guys they asked and I said, well, you know, you, you got me on the spot. I told you I would. So here I am. Yeah. And I've listened to a couple of the shows uh, just recently. I really, really enjoyed some of the things that you had to say. And uh, also really enjoyed the book that you wrote uh, behind the cosmic veil. And, you know, that's what we're going to, we're going to talk about tonight. I, but, the first thing I want to ask you, Thomas, is, you know, a little bit about yourself and then also how you uh, became interested in this field of the paranormal. Oh, that's a good question. Uh, back in many, many, many moons ago, um, basically in my late teens and early 20s, I had uh, several 
very profound experiences. Uh, I don't like to call them, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't like to call them psychic experiences uh, because there's all kinds of baggage that comes with that word today. Uh, let's call them parapsychological experiences. Uh, the uh, they were sufficiently profound uh, for me to not be able to uh, explain them away or rationalize them away in some some manner. And this called uh, this called for me. It called into question the model of reality that was taught to me at university uh, in physics. It was something that just didn't fit into that particular model. And so being in a situation where I was no longer able to armchair quarterback and, and sit back and just intellectualize and speculate upon it all, <laughs> um, <clears throat> I had to take a real serious look uh, at what this meant for uh, the laws and principles that actually govern the universe that we live in. Uh, you know, it's been very unusual for me in that most people who talk about having these kinds of experiences, uh, they almost always go down what I call the experiential or the practitional avenue. Yeah. Like, well, gee, I must have psychic abilities, therefore I should be a psychic, or I want to seek out more experiences like this, and those kinds of things. But for me, the compelling question was actually a cosmological one. Uh, what you know, the universe has to be put together in a way that allows these kinds of things to occur. And so, for me, and this is kind of what made my work very cutting edge and kind of leapfrogging over what came before, was rather than looking at paranormal phenomena in a box, uh, which has always been done in the past, I actually took a look at the universe and took a look at the at the cosmology of the universe and say, well, if this kind of observation happens in this kind of a universe, what does that tell to us, uh, tell us about the laws and principles that help put it all together and make it work? And so that's what my research uh, went into, and that's the avenue I went down. And, and of course, uh, you know, many decades, several decades later, uh, I finally felt it was ready to publish it, and here I am, and here we are. Well, excellent. Um, uh, why do you feel that we need to like kind of reassess the paranormal and how the paranormal is also investigated, and it, why why do you think that we need like a new like a new theory for the paranormal for those aspects? That's a great question, guys, and there's, there's, a, there's several different aspects of this. First of all, one of the problems that we've traditionally had in the paranormal field, and we do still so today in, in the mainstream at least, because I'm almost considered fringe uh, when you compare it to mainstream paranormal thought, yeah. uh, is that what we lack is a theoretical model into which we must plug the data that we have. Right now, in mainstream paranormal research, there is no such theoretical model that's scientifically relevant and sound and meaningful. And therefore, what we do is we keep just collecting more and more and more of the same kind of data. Uh, and it just 
is this big giant pile that sits in the middle of the room, so to speak, and there's no rhyme nor reason to it. And everybody comes up with their own ideas of what they think is happening, and so they'll say, well, this is what we think EVPs are, but it says nothing about, uh, let's say, poltergeist activity, uh, like levitations or those types of things. Or they'll talk about, you know, well, this is what we think is happening in poltergeist activities, but doesn't give us a physical explanation as to why we have cold spots and so on and so forth. There's no uh, unifying framework, at least until uh, my own super geometric theory, that actually gave us a handle on these things and allowed us to plug all this data into an orderly fashion. Uh, the other thing, of course, is that the overwhelming majority of paranormal investigators have absolutely no interest in science whatsoever. Hmm. Now, they will argue, some of these people will argue, and they, oh, no, we do things in a scientific way and all that. And I've been on interviews with, uh, with uh, radio hosts who were also scientific investigators or, or paranormal investigators. And I went out on the limb a few times and asked them, uh, well, can you recite to me the scientific method? And they really didn't know what to say. They could pick out one or two things. But I'm saying, well, you know, science is a process. It is a method. Right. Uh, and, and so, you know, consequently, if you have, uh, uh, if you have no knowledge of basically science 101, what are the fundamentals of science? Uh, how could you begin to explore something scientifically? So they think if they go in and investigate with a scientifically uh, uh, invented or developed instrument, that somehow that's a scientific investigation. And I tell them, and I'm, I guess I'm famous for this saying, you know, running around a house at night with an EMF meter is no more conducting science than a tourist running around the countryside with a highly sophisticated digital video camera. They're not conducting science either. You know, I, I think what they mean when they say that they're scientific investigators is that they're trying to differentiate that from somebody that goes in with like a psychic or a psychic medium and could be telling the truth or could be lying. I think that's what they're trying to say. Like, like the point that you just made, that they're using scientific instruments therefore they consider themselves scientific when the truth is like you just pointed out they don't know the scientific method either so yeah so they're not actually conducting science right and here's what another problem with the with the paranormal field is that they they convince themselves they believe that they are doing something in a scientific manner and, uh, you know, <laughs> it's like the old saying where the four different kinds of people and the fourth one is, you know, he who, you know, he who is a fool but knows or, or he who knows not but thinks that he knows is a fool. Shun him. Uh, and so that's the worst kind of thing, believing that you're actually doing something that you're not. Right. Uh, and, and so, uh, you know, this is some of the, the problems that we have. We have so many factions in this field, and that's the third aspect to answer your question, is that all different kinds of people are in this field for all different reasons. Uh, the vast majority of being very personal, uh, 
and has nothing to do with the advancement of knowledge as to science or how the universe is put together has nothing to do with that at all. You have the thrill seekers, the, uh, you know, the, what I call the trophy hunters. Uh, everybody knows what that means. Uh, you know, you have the, uh, what I call the, uh, ugly buggers, uh, who are just psyched about the fact that, you know, they're, they're knowledgeable about something and can toy around with something that the general public is somewhat fearful of. So it gives yeah. them a sense of superiority and autonomy and power. Uh, you know, those kinds of things. I would say, in all honesty, those who are really genuinely interested in advancing the frontiers of science through paranormal investigating – I would be surprised if that was actually one half of one percent. Wow, that's an interesting statement. And, and to add to that is this kind of preponderance of these ghost shows, these television shows, and there seems to be in some people a desire to just use that as a springboard to have a television career. Absolutely. You have that you know, uh, that motivation as well. You know, I capture more EVPs than this guy. Uh, you know, yeah. I'm more flamboyant. I can be more crazy. I get possessed more times during an investigation than anyone. <laughs> I can yell at the ghost. <laughs> yeah. You know, bro. Yeah. Our, you know, one of our assistants that helps us has larger breasts than the one on your team. Right, right. <laughs> that does make for a little bit more interesting show for me. <laughs> but, I mean, really, I mean, that's what they're into. And, uh, you know, it's just a, uh, well, it's a zoo. I don't have to, to, to expand yeah. on that too much. Everybody knows it's a zoo. So, thankfully, some of it's subsiding because the paranormal fad. Uh, the pop fad part of it is beginning to fade away. Yeah. Uh, you're seeing a, you know, a disappearance of these kinds of shows on TV. You're seeing uh, both new and old franchises that just simply are not being renewed for other, you know, additional seasons. Uh, you'll see uh, people who are recognized in the field. I'll give you just a couple examples. Uh, Marie D. Jones a big author and, and personality in the paranormal field, or used to be. And, She's coming on the show next month, actually. Yes, and yep. Jim Harold, for example, another one, yep. paranormal podcast. You'll have seen in the last year or so how these individuals who are very concerned uh, about their financial success and what they do, which is obviously a, a necessity, if you study their work over the last year or two, you will see that they have been diverging and diversifying and getting away from the paranormal subject uh, because right. they know that there's just diminishing returns. And so this fad is beginning to fade away, and that hopefully will uh, present a an opportunity uh, for something else to take its place in the public eye. Uh, because the general public is the one that decides uh, uh, which way these fields go, even a lot of times in science. 
Uh, and a lot of people in the paranormal community look at that community as the four walls that surround the universe. And I try to remind them as, you know, you had this long-running show, Ghost Hunters, I can guarantee you it wouldn't have made it through a single season if it was only patronized by paranormal investigators. Right. It's exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's a general public that that, uh, that buys the cornflakes that they advertise. Yeah, and, and there's just so much that you can do with that. I mean, how, how many times, I mean, I like when, when Ghost Hunters came on, I loved the show. Uh, first, maybe three or four seasons. After a while, it just started getting repetitive. And like, how many times can you go into a place and say, oh, I got an EVP. Oh, I just got touched. Oh, there's a cold spot. You know, how many oh, times, how many times can you see that in a show and just not get like completely sick of it? And I also wanted to throw another question out to you. Have you been on an investigation with, with, with any, any like paranormal groups? Now, this is very interesting. Um, <clears throat> the answer to this, and we were talking before the show and I, I've said that I, I have some detractors out there, uh, I am not a paranormal investigator. I have never been on a paranormal investigation. I have never personally experienced any of the things that are commonly associated with a paranormally active site. Uh, but what I tell people is this. I say, all right, you know, if, if you know, if I want to be someone who can knowledgeably comment on the surface of Mars, do I have to build my own NASA space program? <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. You know, if, if I want to believe in the discovery of the Higgs boson, do I have to build my own Large Hadron Collider? Yeah. Uh, you know, so uh, what I do is I take the evidence that other people uh, acquire and I've you know, and I've identified them or recognized them as as legitimate bodies of data that need to be addressed in a scholastic way. Right, exactly. That 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 makes sense. That makes total sense to me. I mean, you don't like you you don't have to be a investigator to understand what's going on. You know, you can look at the you can look at the work the work that others have done. Yeah, and I would ask some of these people that criticized me for that, and I would ask them, "Well, why do you, why do you collect evidence? Who are you yeah. going to show that to? And if you're going to show it to me to convince me that these things are real, should I consider you a liar, or disregard it, or <clears throat> should I only accept these things if I experience them for myself?" And if that's the case, what value is your evidence? And that normally kind of shuts them up and turns it around because the actual reality is, is they're not throwing stones at me uh, because I'm not a paranormal investigator. They're throwing stones at me because my theories threaten their religious cult-like beliefs that they've held for years. <laughs> right. And that they have to try to poison the well in any way that they can. Right. And, and, and even though you have this theory, you know, what I liked about your book was, is that you're not like, oh, this is the way things are. You're just like, I'm, this isn't my theory. I'm throwing it out there for consideration. You will get a lot of people 
that are very fundamentalist in their outlook that will say, this is the way things are because I know this is, I know it. I absolutely know it. And, it, and then they are afraid to listen to other, po- other points of view because usually they have an agenda. Absolutely. And once again, as we were talking about a little earlier, that agenda has nothing to do with science or the advancement of human knowledge. Right. And so consequently, their motivations are completely different than mine. I want to tell, I want to explore how paranormal phenomena tells us things about, let's say, for example, the true nature of gravity. And and the folks running around trying to collect the bigger EVPs and the talking flashlights, they could care less. Right. You, you know, so, uh, you know, and for most of them, it would be like, well, so what? Uh, you know, and so that that's a, <laughs> that's a big... <laughs> you were saying you needed more hate mail? <laughs> well, we, we can get uh, some here. <laughs> Yes, please. <laughs> let's 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 talk. I want to talk about the theory. I want to get into it. And we start out in the book talking about you know this system of the four superphysical or the paraphysical principles. And you've kind of taken several different aspects of the paranormal and kind of combined them and like filtered them down into four solid principles. Yes. Yes, and what those principles were, um, <clears throat> and to be quite honest with you, I don't remember them off the top of my head. <laughs> I have to look at my book and read it. But anyway, uh, for yeah, those I've got, I've got to, I've got the book right in front of me, so we'll, we'll I'll turn to that while you're talking. All right. Uh, essentially, what I was trying to do with the four paraphysical principles, um, or, or you know, the uh, Uh, those extra physical principles, so to speak, is to demonstrate through logical argument and the process of deduction and elimination that the phenomena that we are observing cannot be originating from a local source. And what that means in physics, of course, and in science is that everything is connected physically. So even with ourselves here where we're talking, we have electromagnetic compression waves carrying modulations of information that are being carried across a number of different mediums, or media, to say it correctly, uh, in order to communicate one to another. But if we broke it down, we could trace a physical connection directly from cause to effect, uh, from me speaking all the way to the listener hearing it, there is a physical connection that takes place all the way in that stream that goes from my voice to your ears. Right. In paranormal phenomena, we do not have those kinds of local causes and effects. What we see are the effects with no physical, directly local connected cause which, of course, I argue is the very scientific definition of what it means to be paranormal. Uh, if it was, if we knew that there was a local cause that was physically connected to the effect that we were seeing, it wouldn't be paranormal. It'd be normal. Right. 
so that's what those paraphysical principles do. They, they help establish that first foundation that we must look for something outside of the normal physical laws and principles that we're familiar with right now in order to find the answers to paranormal phenomena. Right. Well, the four that you have listed, uh, you have transmutation. Uh, that's like basically like telepathy, um, clairvoyance, those kind of things. Translocation. Events in which, events in which physical things are moved or displaced by non-physical means. Transmutation. Transmigration. And I guess you have a fifth, synchronicity. Yes. Yes. And one of the reasons why I came up with that terminology and I explained it in the book and I was kind of crossing my fingers and praying that the paranormal community would pick up on these terminologies. Yeah. Is that we're using a prefix trans which shows us that we're moving from one thing to another. And so when I talk about transmentation, for example, I'm actually talking about mental phenomena that moves from one physical location to another. <clears throat> Let's say in, the, in telepathy, from one physical brain to another, without having any physical connection in between over which that information travels physically as some sort of an energy compression wave. Uh, it literally appears in the other mind without any physical connection between the two. And so that is a trans uh, type of a, uh, um, of a phenomenon. And mentation, of course, talks about the uh, the mental aspects of it. And under that uh, definition, we can include all the things like ESP, uh, you know, premonition, uh, all those kinds of uh, parapsychological phenomena fits under that category. Right. What's the role of synchronicity? Synchronicity tells us something else about this, the way that the universe is put together. Uh, when we have synchronous phenomenon, and uh, <clears throat> we have some very strong ones uh, uh, in uh, physics today, when we talk about entangled particles or entangled photons, these are the simultaneously or the simultaneous occurrence of different events that are clearly related, but again, have no physical connection between the two. There is no physical con conduit why these things should occur. Right. Uh, <clears throat> so, and, and as you know, I, I include, again, this is my particular outlook where I look at things more on a larger scale. I actually look at the idea or the, let's say, a phenomenon of birds having developed, you know, uh, uh, evolution, you know, through evolution and flying fish that do the same thing through the water and they jump through the air. I consider that also an, an evidence of synchronicity. Okay. Uh, for example, I have in my possession, I used to be in the seafood business many, 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 many years ago. And I have in my possession a, an oyster shell 
Now, this is going to sound strange, but hear me out. <clears throat> An oyster shell that when you look at the top of the shell, you it is actually in the shape of one of those conks. Where it's okay. actually like a spiral shell. And at the bottom, yeah. you can actually see the tongue sticking out of the opening. And yet it is a flat or, or, you know, it's just a surface on a shell. There's no structures underneath of it. And I consider that to be the same kind of uh, synchronous evidence as what we normally talk about in human experience with synchronicity. Right. There's like just a, it's either it's events that have no kind of like real direct cause and effect, but they're correlated anyway. Yes. Uh, in, in other words, when you when you have two different locations in space time. And within those two separate locations, you have different materials and structures. And yet those two different locations in space time with two different sets of ingredients present produce the exact same information pattern. That's synchronicity. Yeah. The difference with my work is that I've expanded it beyond what I call the egocentric or or human centric way of looking at things. We're we're so egotistical as human beings that we think we are the yardstick by which the universe is measured. Uh, so consequently, we only look at you know human experience. Uh, in terms of synchronicity and say, oh, well, that's the gold standard. When in fact, we're a little fly speck on the landscape of the universe. <laughs> true, true. And if, if synchronicity is going to be accepted as an actual principle of reality, there has to be a corresponding manifestation of it in the very physical structure of the universe itself. And so what we experience as human beings is the result. We're the, we're the end result of this synchronicity principle. Uh, we're by no means the beginning. It's been going on for close to over 13 billion years before we poked our heads out of the mud. Wow. <laughs> that's true. The, explain this concept of space-time. I think that's important for what we're going to get into with supergeometry. Space-time. This is the one of the great secrets of the universe that the greatest mind of all time, Albert Einstein, uh, you know, exposed for us is the idea that the old Aristotelian and Newtonian way of thinking was wrong. And that way of thinking was essentially to take it from Newton that we had three dimensions, you know, length, width and depth. And all physical things uh, complied to those dimensions. And those dimensional objects occupied empty space and moved through a consistent and even meter of time. Okay. So what, what Newton had taught us was that all of these things were separate elements, time, space, and matter. One of his mistakes was he considered energy just to be tiny pieces of matter because he didn't have the information to understand that energy, uh, you know, had very unique principles that didn't, you know, comply to his mechanical laws. Uh, 
Um, <clears throat> so what Einstein said is this. He said that, no, that everything in the universe is both has four dimensions. It has the three spatial and a temporal dimension. And moreover, the dimension of time is inseparable from the spatial dimensions. In other words, you cannot have a dimensional structure with also, without also having the dimension of time. If you remove time, the spatial dimensions would collapse. They would turn into a singularity because there's yeah. no temporal differentiation in which to sustain these things. And moreover... He said that everything was the result of a continuous spatial field, which I know everybody's heard of the in science fiction, the space-time continuum. Right, right. You know, and very <laughs> few people out there actually understand what the heck that means. Uh, and that means the geometry of space-time permeates every single aspect and every single quadrant of the universe. Uh, and so what we have are these objects, uh, particles and matter, uh, mass, energy, that are actually outcrops of this continuous spatial field. Uh, the equation, the most famous equation in history, E equals MC squared, published by a patent clerk in 1905, Um <clears throat> and who never received a Nobel Prize for it, by the way. Hmm, really? Uh, yeah, this is the this is the immensity of Einstein's genius. Einstein received a Nobel Prize for being the first person to describe the internal structure of an atom. Okay. Yeah. You know, no, m most people don't know that. They think about relativity. And, right, because that's what he's best known for. Yeah. Yes, but that's not what he won the prize for. Anyway, what he said is that everything is part of this spatial field that continues through all things, through all mass, through all energy, and that actually those things were material points, pimples within the fabric of space time. Um, so you'll, with this E equals MC squared, you'll hear all these feathery realmers, forgive me, you'll get more hate mail for this guy. So let me, <laughs> let me go on. Luke's, Luke's ready. Go for yeah, it. Yeah. All right. <laughs> you know, you have all these feathery realmers saying, oh, everything is just energy. Everything is just energy. You know, I hear scientists say it, and I want to crawl through the internet and smack them in the head. Uh, but, of course, there's a lot of scientists that don't understand cosmology either. Um, <clears throat> really, what E equals MC squared means is that mass and energy are equivalent. They are two sides of the equation. You can no longer, you can no more using that equation as evidence or as justification, say that everything is just energy without also saying that everything is just mass. Yeah. You know, if the mass, if the mass didn't exist, like a lot of people say, well, there's no such thing as mass. And uh, some of even the quantum theorists say that I would ask any survivor of Hiroshima or Nagasaki, whether there is such a thing as mass. Uh, because sure they could tell you. 
<laughs> yeah, you know, because if we didn't have the formula convert mass to energy, uh, hmm, you know, that would have never happened. So anyway, the true reality of this, and this is very profound, and it, and there really is only a handful of scientists on Earth that are familiar, that are versed in this principle. Everything is just the continuous spatial field. Everything that we see, everything that we experience, all mass and energy, is a densification in the background spatial field, which is the fabric in which everything that we observe in the universe is embroidered. So turning back to the paranormal, is basically from the perspective of what is going on with the paranormal and these, these principles that you, that you speak of, in the physical universe, these should be impossible. Yes. And here's the reason why. Because, and this is the other element of my work that has been, that I kind of crashed into the stage of paranormal investigation and research. We have to consider the source of information. Information is what determines the structure of everything that we see. And so consequently, we have energy. And again, I'm going to talk about it physically because you'll hear people talk about, oh, spirit energy and psychic energy. They have no flipping idea what they're talking about. (laughs) Uh, Because when I ask them what kind of energy, well, well, I don't know. They don't even know what the, the what the, the definition of energy is. Uh, but what you have is an electromagnetic compression wave or an acoustical compression wave that carries modulations. And that modulation contains information. And that's how a radio broadcast works. That an electromagnetic compression wave uh, is transmitted from a radio tower carrying modulations. Right. That are the information on that wave. And you guys are radio guys. You know about this. So, because you, mm-hmm. because radio is just a form of light, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And musicians who, who deal with the electronics of creating and modifying music and all that, they understand this principle too. So, what you see, let's say in an apparition, for example, you see basically a field of energy. And this energy has to be uh, emitted or generated as a field. Moreover, it has to have information that configures that field into something that's recognizable as a human being to call it an apparition. And the problem is in local space-time, there is nothing, there is no source for any of these, either the energy or the information, that can travel across the spatial field and be emitted and be projected and be sustained in the location where these apparitions are seen. And, yeah, therefore, you know, locality has to do with the connection between material points in the spatial grid. And if you've got B, which is the destination, and A, which is the point of origin, which would be the cause, 
If you have an apparition or an EVP, which is the effect B, you have to have a local physical source, A, that's contained in the same spatial field. And in paranormal phenomena, there just isn't any. When you say the word local, though, you do, you mean like the environment or you just mean local as in the universe? That's what I was on there, too. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and here's where science differs sometimes. In physics and in science, we will sometimes use terms that are used in the common vernacular but mean something a little bit different or a little bit more specific. Local is one of those terms. Uh, that that science uses a little different. For example, what we're what we would say is in the radio uh, uh, tower. For example, the the spatial field upon which the electromagnetic compression wave travels is local to the radio antenna. The point of origin of the electromagnetic field on that spatial grid is local to the antenna and it travels in a local connected way uh, until it reaches a receiver, uh, some sort of antenna on a receiver. And that antenna has to be local to the spatial field and the electromagnetic compression wave on that field in order to receive it. And then so on and so forth, down the antenna and into the electronics and out the uh, television screen or the uh, um, speaker. And so there's always a local connection. Uh, If you put your hand on your desktop, on your tabletop, I shouldn't say desktop, that's a computer term today. If you put your hand, your finger on the table that you're sitting near, your finger is local to the tabletop. And that's how the term locality is used. Now, what we have in paranormal phenomena is non-locality. Yeah, it's just simply not there. Yeah, Yeah, there's no connection between cause and effect or what one author said very cleverly. It's like getting a black eye uh, in Miami from a punch that was thrown in Cleveland. (laughs) Well, I have to ask, you know, you... You mentioned the word geometry before, and when you were talking about space-time, you call your your theory, as you call it, the toe, the theory of everything, uh, super geometry. Yeah. What does that mean, and 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 how can that be used to explain anomalies like, well, the paranormal? You also mention uh, evolution in the book as well, like the some of the the different. Uh, a strange stuff with with evolution that can't actually be really explained by natural selection, and stuff like Curlian photography, which is real interesting as well. Boy, you just threw a bunch of stuff in the barrel, didn't you? <laughs> I read the book. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. the root the, the the chickens are coming home to roost, right? Um, no, uh, <laughs> um, when we talk about super geometry, this is where I got this uh, term. Because again, rather than making up these feathery realm, metaphysical, philosophical, warm, fuzzy terms, I wanted to, you know, and this field is filled with them. And every guru has his own favorite set of terms that he uses, uh, which is great for book sales, but it's it's terrible for the advancement of human knowledge and understanding. 
Uh, it makes money, but it doesn't make progress. Uh, anyway, um, we have the geometry of space, which is that length, width, and depth. That's the geometrical aspect of it. What we talk about in physics and in science when we, when we uh, uh, study systems is that we can talk about supersets of these systems from which the subsystems emerge. So, for example, if we had a superstructure that was on top of the, uh, the universe, and I'm saying this in a figurative way because it's not really a direction, uh, you know, it's difficult to talk about things that are extra dimensional in dimensional terms. Um, <clears throat> the geometry of space time that we would experience uh, on a physical level would be a subset of that super geometrical set. So, for example, for those who are familiar with uh, parapsychology, Edgar Casey called what I'm talking about the Akasha. It was this storehouse of information from which everything in the universe derived, but was not a direct physical part of the universe. Uh, people talk about the spiritual realm. Uh, that, you know, it would be something that generally is, is believed to be not physical. And yet what occurs in that spiritual realm has a physical effect on the geometric realm. So this is where the term supergeometry comes from. Um, I, could spl- I could give another example, which is geometry, and some people actually know what this is. Uh, do you, other than, uh, you know, uh, uh, the Avengers uh, movie, uh, does anybody, any of you guys know what a Tesseract is? Well, if you read my like book, you this, know. I, yeah, I'm familiar. Yeah. I'd heard the term it's before. It's a shape, right? It's like yeah. a geometrical shape? Sort of. Uh, here's what, here's a, a basic description, and, and folks they are listening out there just uh, – Kind of open your minds a little bit, uh, lay back in the armchair and kind of, you know, do a little Zen and, and, uh, this could, this, this could actually, uh, uh, translate into something understandable. Uh, let's take a look at Euclidean geometry, which is what we're very familiar with. Um, <clears throat> a one dimensional, we take a line. A line is a one dimensional object. It has length, but it has no width and no depth. Uh, it cannot be expressed physically. A line is a theoretical mathematical abstract. There is no way that you can represent a line that doesn't also have width and depth. Otherwise, it'd be an invisible. It would Even if you draw it on a piece of paper, it still has width and depth. Sure, exactly. Right. Yeah. Uh, it, it is invisible. It cannot be manifested by itself physically. Uh, it is an abstract. It, it's just like when you learned in geometry, guys in school, you remember this, that your geometry teacher taught you along a line is an infinite number of points. You can't see them, but they're there. Um, <clears throat> if you square a line to itself, you get a square. That's a two-dimensional object that has height and and length, but no depth. Right. 
If you square a square to itself, you have a three-dimensional object with a cu- as a cube. This is spatially what we're familiar with. Everything in our universe would be dimensional in, in, in that way. You have length, width, and depth. If you squared a cube to itself, you'd have a tesseract. It is a three. It is a, a theoretical four-dimensional object, but it cannot be represented in three-dimensional space-time. The only part of the tesseract that can be represented in our three-dimensional space would be that part of the tesseract that would manifest in three dimensions. So, for example, we have this super geometric structure of a tesseract, the geometric structure of which we can only experience in our plane, and that would be that cube. Right. Well, it'd be like, say your whole world is a two-dimensional piece of paper, and you're trying to experience a cube, it would just look like a square as it moved through the paper. Exactly. I think Carl Sagan did a demonstration of that as well. He made a some kind of illustration of someone that lived in a two-dimensional world confronted with a three-dimensional object. Yes. It it, it comes from a uh, uh, a book, I believe it was published in the late 1800s. I don't remember the name of it. Uh, but it talked about a, uh, you know, a two-dimensional world uh, in which three-dimensional objects couldn't be uh, uh, identified. So if somebody on a two-dimensional plane of a flat piece of paper saw a three-dimensional person writing on it with a pencil, all they would see was this mysterious markings uh, appear magically on their surface of their world. They couldn't see the pencil because that's up in the third dimension of height. Now, right. when the person lifted the pencil off the page, you would they the, the two-dimensional creature would see a paranormal event. They would see a dematerialization. When you put the pencil back on the page to write the next word, they would see another paranormal uh, manifestation, which would be a materialization. Uh, and this is how it goes. Uh, the only difference between that and the idea of four dimensions is that once we get beyond three dimensions, we're not talking about something that's physical any longer. With the two-dimensional plane, we could still express that in physical terms. And the three-dimensional plane above it is physical, but a fourth dimension above it cannot be physical because it cannot be suspended or sustained within the spatial grid of our particular universe. But it is there nonetheless. Mm-hmm. The only aspects of it that we, that can, you know, can be manifested are those which intersect with our space-time plane. And that would be, let's say in our example, that would be the cube. The rest of it exists, but it's not physical. Right. And super geometry is what you're, that's what you're illustrating there. Yes, the superset of, 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 our, of our standard geometry from which the standard geometry emerges. <clears throat> so, for example, uh, we have, if we had a super geometric set uh, or an Akashic record, if, uh, if I refer it on that uh, end, yeah. of, a, of a woman who lived, lived and died 100 years ago. 
And her body, she died, her body decayed. The three-dimensional manifestation of that information set would disappear from our physical realm. But the four-dimensional structure, the superstructure, would still exist of that information. Then a hundred years later, somebody in that house sees a an exact replica of that woman walking through their house as a, as a spirit. That means that that four-dimensional information system has intersected with our three-dimensional plane and the person is literally rematerializing from that same data set. Now, I'm a little confused a little bit of the, the, the term fourth dimension because it, it we, we, we talked about the fourth dimension being time. So are we, are you using, I suppose, like a fourth dimension just as a, obviously as a one step above depth? Yes. Uh, and, and again, this is something that the common vernacular has really screwed up where people talk about, uh, you know, other dimensions or extra dimensions or the fifth yeah. dimension, uh, right. something like that, which is another indication that the person really doesn't understand what they're talking about in, in many instances. Um, when I talk about four-dimensional object, I'm talking about a spatial dimension. If we were to add the necessary temporal dimension, then we would be talking about something that mathematically would be expressed in five dimensions. Right. But practically speaking, that higher fourth dimension, so to speak, uh, spatial dimension, cannot exist physically. And therefore, as you know in my book, I consider it to be extra-dimensional or even a-dimensional, something that is outside of dimensions. This is one of the uh, paradoxes of string theory. And everybody's heard about string theory, and one says there's 11 dimensions, and the other says that there's 23 dimensions, and there's all different flavors of it. One of the paradoxes is that none of these theorists can explain how these extra dimensions can be expressed physically. There's no, there literally is no space for them to be expressed physically. So the problem with quantum or with uh, string theory, and it still hasn't been overcome, is to explain how all these dimensions, extra dimensions, are folded into our own three dimensions, our three spatial dimensions. Uh and that's what they would have to be in order to exist, according to the uh, the prevalent material paradigm that everything has to be physical. Uh, so, yeah, it's. Uh, I just wanted to explain to people when you hear the normal term like a higher dimension or something, it really isn't quite what you think it is or what you might have thought it was. So you have the physical universe. Yes. And above the feeder... Uh, physical universe is this kind of um, a universe, uh, well, a, a realm of abstracts in a way, or just a realm of information that in a sense is downloaded into the physical universe. Yes, yes. Or what uh, I think it was uh, Carl Jung uh, or Sigmund Freud to call them psychoid entities. Yeah. Uh, that they weren't physical. Uh, yes, and yet they trickle down and emerge as something physical once they reach luminosity, 
Or in other words, once they reach the space-time barrier, which is the speed of light, and as soon as they reach luminosity, that speed or below, they materialize in the physical into the physical universe. Why would they reach that speed? Why would they come down to this level? And again, we have to let the audience know that when we're talking about up and down and above and below, right? these are all uh, uh, limited with what we're saying. We can't talk about Something extra physical. These are all our concepts, our with, limited concepts. Yes, yeah. with physical designations, it's a very difficult thing. As long as we know that we're using these words inaccurately, but metaphorically to convey the correct mental impression, that then we're good. You know, we can work with our crippled uh, uh, physical brains and their corresponding vocabularies. Um, but what my theory says is that in this extra physical realm, and that's a good term, we can't really call it a dimension because it's not physical. Um, what we have is what I argue is a primary conflict, a primal conflict that we actually have opposite absolutes. Again, absolutes being something that cannot be possibly physical. Because absolutes are, uh, you know, unalterable and they're infinite. They are beyond space and beyond time. But these absolutes, uh, which we sometimes humanly call uh, good and evil, and don't get locked in on that, but because beyond our human egocentric viewpoint, good and evil doesn't have, you know, really a, a, a you know, a, a sense of definition. Uh, but if we call these, uh, uh, let's say, the positive absolute and the negative absolute, where they collide creates the disturbances and the differences that are necessary for the creation of dimensional space-time. And as these things become densified, and again, we're using these terms metaphorically, these pre-dimensional frequencies begin to slow. They begin to decelerate. Again, using that term metaphorically. And when they decelerate to the point where they extend down to the speed of light, where they slow down to the speed of light, immediately they begin to unfold and start materializing into our physical reality. Okay. How is this different from a concept of a spiritual realm? Well, it's not, except that this de the, the super geometric definition gives us actual tangible handles to grab a hold of. Right. It gives us more clear and concise ideas upon which we can begin to reckon with what the nature of this is. For example, one of the mathematical uh, abstracts <clears throat> that are used in quantum physics are called wave functions. What they are are mathematical formulas designed to predict the probable outcome of a quantum process so that when the quantum, uh, the quantum process collapses into a distinct point at a distinct location and at a distinct velocity, 
the mathematical wave functions collapse into these distinct, uh, um, you know, geometric uh, or, or space-time coordinates, so to speak. Now, they have always been considered to be mathematical abstracts. In light of supergeometric theory, we can now look at them and start considering them that they're actual, actually real, that they're not simply abstracts or an imaginary constructs to come up with a, with a quantum solution or a quantum answer, that these wave functions are actually real, that our mathematics are describing something that actually does exist. Uh, and that's profound. This is where I said earlier that the reason why the paranormal research is in the mess that it's been in for hundreds of years even uh, is that there has been no theoretical model framework into which to stuff all the data. Supergeometry gives us a structure in which we can plug all kinds of data and show how they, they logically relate to one another and how they all fit together in a, in a large unified picture. Wow. I, I'm, I'm kind of speechless right now. I, <laughs> I'm not a very scientifically oriented yeah, we're person. We're not mathematicians, so we're having trouble following. Yeah, yeah but, but it was just, but it's just like, it, it is, it, it is extremely, extremely interesting to me. Cosmology. Just how mind blowing it is. Yes. Cosmology, just so you know is the LSD of the, of the physics world. Um, even, right. even most physicists are, are don't, you know, theoretical cosmology to them is like out there in, in, you know, in a stratosphere. It is such a, it is the most twisted, weird and bizarre aspect of any kind of a scientific field. So yeah, we're talking about things that are, you know, at that the greatest minds in the world have and continue to reckon with and struggle with. From your book, I gathered that you believe in God and that you, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, that you are also a Christian. Yes, yes, you are correct. I will not correct you. Okay, so just the, the way to, to to ask this question about <laughs> <laughs> kind of like, are we talking about this realm, this super geometry? Are we talking about where God is? And and, and also this concept of you you know it says in the Bible that to the to God the um, a, a thousand years is like a moment or something like that. I'm kind of yes. paraphrasing. For a thousand but years this like a day in your sight or a walk right. in the night, yes. This idea that God is, if God is beyond the physical universe, and he is also, and I use the word he, which is my own kind of physical constraints, but then God is in an area without time. Yes. Yes. And and the fact that you are uh, um, thinking about the terms that you're using before you're speaking them shows that you get this. You're getting the general principle of what we're talking about here. Um, 
which is not an easy thing to do. You know, in my book, I follow it very logically. And from one step to the next to the next, uh, this is a tough nut to crack. It really is. But yes, here's what, what, what I argue when it comes to that. Uh, and by the way, this is why the atheists that are trying to dominate the world of physics today are also materialists. And what we, a, I was about to bring that point up that just you, you, when you, when you equate science with God, then you're, then a lot of people are going to say that's pseudoscience. Yes. Uh, and, and what they're, what, and again, for your audience, what materialism means is that reality, that term meaning all that there is, um, Reality is what is physical. And what is physical is reality. And they're synonymous. There's the same thing. And there is no aspect of reality that exists outside of the physical. This is one of the, uh, uh, the, the dogmas. It's almost a religious dogma for which we have no empirical evidence to support that. It is just a belief. This belief is intertwined in our education to when physicists finally graduate, they're indoctrinated into this and they believe that it somehow must be so, but yet they couldn't cite you the particular piece of evidence that they learned in their education that would point to it. Um, So that being said, any idea of something being extra physical is frightening because it opens the door to the existence of a creator. Right. Even today, you'll see physicists struggling, you know, pulling every kind of a trick out of their hat that they can come up with to try to disprove or to discredit the idea of the Big Bang. Because the Big Bang is a problem to all materialists. Yeah. Uh, Because here we had a singularity, something that cannot be physical, according to what we were talking about earlier. A singularity, and a lot of your listeners may not know what that term means, even though they've heard it quite a a few times. It's another concept that's hard to get your mind around. Sure, because it's not physical. A singularity has no variations, has no dimensional variance. In other words, if you see, uh, you know, if you had an object, let's say like a glass or anything that's around you, and you, it's expressed in three spatial dimensions and in time, and you collapsed all of those coordinates into a single point, that's what a singularity is. It would immediately disappear from your view because it no longer could be sustained physically. So a singularity has no uh, what Einstein called dimensional variance. There are no variances. It is the opposite of our universe, which is a multiplicity. A singularity has no dimensions. There's no differences. There's nothing that can be measured spatially or temporally. And yet from this singularity emerged all the space-time of the physical universe and all the information from which even the first 
the, the, the first manifestation of the spatial field, which is geometric, which has information that determines its nature, and the first uh, uh, primitive particles, the primordial particles that began emerging from that spatial field. Everywhere in the early universe, at the same time, there was no trial and error uh, process where particles tried to assemble themselves and disassembled until there was some mother photon from which all right. the other photons were born. Right. Uh, photons began to emerge everywhere in the universe at the same time. Instantaneously, yeah. Yes, according to a predetermined uh, 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 blueprint. So if you take something which is not physical, it is not dimensional, that is not variant, has no variances whatsoever, it's a purity throughout all of it, that is not timed, that there is no beginning and no end, and has an information pattern that gives rise to order, structure, and ultimately to intelligence, which if if it didn't give rise to us as intelligent beings, then intelligence couldn't have been built into it. That had to be built in also for the elements of the universe to assemble something like ourselves. And if you read the Bible, you're talking about God. And that scares the living bejeepers out of the atheists. Well, if you mention if you mention the word, if you mention the word the Bible, if you mention the word creation, that's I mean just the the connotations that that has. You know, we we've lived uh, for the last what 150 years plus with this debate between creationism and between uh, Darwinian evolution. Mm-hmm. And to me, both are actually well just really products of the modern age and specifically really the 19th century. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and again, in my book, I explain this, that I am, am not a creationist in the conventional sense of the word. Right. We have to, <clears throat> excuse me, we have to go with the usage of words the way that they're used commonly. Well, and, when you said 13 billion years, I knew that you weren't one of those guys that thinks the Earth is 6,000 years old. Yeah, you know. Know, which, <laughs> which is why Dr. Future's listeners thought I was the spawn of Satan. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I have a very good friend, and I'm a great supporter of his work, who is, is trying to break out of his fundamentalist Christian roots. And he has broke out in some remarkable ways, but... Uh, you know, I've had a conversation with him where he asked me, like, very puzzled. He said, you believe in Pangea? You believe that all the continents were uh, one piece at one time? You really believe that? Uh, Thomas, can I, can I interrupt you real quick and tell you? There are people out there that believe the Earth is flat. Now, oh, yeah, I heard there that. There are people out there that believe that the that the sun revolves around the Earth, and we are the center of the universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's people out there that believe that we have dinosaurs living right next to us on a, on a just on a different frequency. Uh, one of them actually has a doctorate and actually has a t- is on TV and has a radio show. His last name begins with K, just so that you know. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> Uh, but you know, I'd love to get a debate with that guy. Oh, 
He would never do it because he has nothing to gain. Yeah. There's nothing to gain by it. But anyway, uh, um, yeah, you're talking about something which is a creator uh, in essence. And that is the, uh, uh, for a materialist who's an atheist, that's, that's the awfulest thing. But creationism in its common understanding, uh, which is why I don't consider myself a creationist, is that these things that the world is 6,000 years old, and that, you know, all the animals and yeah. plants were brought forth as they are, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Which, uh, when I say that creationism is a modern concept, that goes back to Bishop Usher in the 17th century, taking the book of the Bible and, and, and going back through the ages. That is a modern concept. That is not an ancient concept. Uh I don't let's put it this way uh I would say that <laughs> you know the, as a distinct belief uh that had a crystallized distinct form and principles and uh you know precepts and doctrines uh, details like that that are associated with it I could agree with you uh, but the idea that the that the universe or the world was spontaneously created uh, is probably at the root of most every uh, uh, creation myth and legend of every civilization that ever existed on Earth. Right. Right. Um, I'm just talking about the six thousand year thing. That's what I'm talking about. Just yeah, putting like, that number there. Yeah. Putting these things together in an actual dogma. You know, yeah. uh, with, uh, uh, you know, definitions and, and orders and all that. Yes, I would agree with you there. Um, but, you know, evolution has its problems and its flaws, too. Correct. Uh, which yes. I talk about in, you know, extensively in, in my book. And if the if modern physical theory is correct, uh, that there are various aspects of physical reality that are non-local as uh as the evidence uh is 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 for that in what we call a quantum uh teleport or uh entangled photons the states of which the state of particle a when it's changed the state of particle b immediately instantaneously changes to maintain the balance of the correlated particles, even if those particles are separated by light years. Uh, that shows us that there's that some fundamental aspect of reality is non-local. And if that's the case, then just physical, local cause and effect cannot explain evolution. Uh, that evolution... Uh, disregards anything that's outside of the physical environment. What I say about evolution is this, uh, and trust me, I'm not against evolution. What I'm saying is it's an incomplete picture. Right. I say that evolution is a statement that is begun in mid-sentence. Right, yeah, that's very well put, yeah. Yeah, the last half of the sentence reads great, but the first half of the sentence is missing. And my justification for that is evolution has no principles to explain how life emerged from an inanimate matter. You're, you're looking at it with this idea of supergeometry that 
the actuality is, is that evolution and intelligent design are actually one and the same, essentially. Yes. In fact, if you, if you, uh, uh, although rather than saying that I'm looking at it from a super geometric way, it's more accurate for your listeners to understand that these were pieces of evidence and logical deductions that led me to the super geometric theory. Uh, so it was this evidence that said, well, this picture of reality must be real. Uh, the, the super geometric model. Uh, yes. And we, we are talking about, um, you know, this, this idea that if evolution is an accurate description of the progression of life, but yet it cannot explain the progression that led to life, then that's just a simple childlike first grade argument that proves that the evolutionary model is deficient in some way. Doesn't, doesn't mean that it's all wrong. I'm not a creationist. That's stupid too. You know, I mean, you gotta, you gotta <laughs> observable. And I'm sorry, I probably pissed off some people when I said that. It's, but, more, it's more hate mail. Yeah. Hey, you know, <laughs> yeah, you can get it if you want. But what I'm saying is this, I, I shouldn't have used the word stupid. Uh, you know, it's a stupid idea to ignore the observations that are made with the eyes, the hands, the, the, the senses that God if he exists, gave us to look at, you know, <laughs> otherwise, why would there be a passage in the Bible says, let's let each person be convinced in their own mind. Well, they put dinosaur bones here to trick us. Yeah, Satan that's my favorite. That. Oh man, that must've been a reptilians. Yeah, it was, it was reptilians. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Thomas, we're, we're running low on time, but what I want to get from you is, with this theory, where do we go with paranormal investigation? What should paranormal investigators be looking for when they're investigating? Well, what they need to be doing is looking for the evidence of this super geometric model. And, and I talk about this in, in my book because this is one of the things that differentiates my theory, which is a true scientific theory, from those things that came before which is a true scientific theory makes predictions that are experimentally testable. You know, uh, you know, if the door swinging open in the haunted house, they say it's your dead aunt Mary. Well, how do you test that? Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, scientifically. So for example, just to run through a few things, one of the predictions that it makes is that we would see at the emergence of a paranormal, uh, effect, we're going to see a disturbance in the uh, gravitational field, the local gravitational field. We'll see the emergence of an additional gravitational field other than the one that, uh, that you know, is, uh, is of the Earth. Uh, we're going to see distortions in, in time local to that emergence point of that paranormal event. Uh, these are just a couple things in the paranormal field that need to be investigated. Now, there's there's a fellow out there that's done some of this investigation already. Uh, his name is David Roundtree. 
Yeah. I and heard he, you talk about him on the show. Yeah. Yes. He has confirmed already some of these predictions that he's confirmed with his readings that space is indeed bending at the moment of a paranormal event emerging in the local space. He's been able to test the gravitational aspects of it. He's been able to attest the temporal variations. And moreover, a couple years ago, based on his own ideas, uh, he also was able to detect the emergence of gamma bursts at the onset yeah. of a paranormal event. In fact, Thomas, we talked to John Tinney, uh, who uh, is an associate of him and did that show with with uh, yes. the Ghost Stalkers. Yes, Ghost uh, Stalkers. We and talked about that. We talked about the, the gamma radiation. Get ever got reviewed and uh, renewed, you know. Yeah, and it was actually good. It was actually different, and it's like a really like to me, it's a huge injustice. But you know, this is my personal soapbox. Yes. Did, did someone say goat stalkers? Ghost yes. stalkers. I say ghost stalkers. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Was I allowed to say that? <laughs> so, substantial penalty for early withdrawal. That sounds a little more interesting to me, actually. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be your own show. Luke. <laughs> oh, my. But, uh, but, you know, in a lot of David's work, they couldn't even display on the show because it was so far above what most people understand that, yeah. you know, everybody, everybody's eyes would glaze over and, and, you know, they wouldn't sell the cornflakes in the commercials. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, paranormal investigators, 99.5% of them, when they're looking at their show, they're looking at David's equipment to see how it can better enable them to, to to trophy hunt yeah you know the cosmological ramifications of his work is like (laughs) it's like it's kind of like how the romans actually built a steam engine but they only used it for to like produce like steam for like a to make it look like a god was coming out of the of the smoke yes unless you talk to graham hancock yeah Real quick, Thomas, what did you think of the movie Interstellar? Have I you just, seen it? I just pissed off somebody else, too. There you go. <laughs> We're pissing everybody off on this one. That's right. We, we you, are, you know, we, we, we have no prejudice, uh, you know. we Equal we, opportunity offender. It's, it's equal opportunity. <laughs> if I have not offended you, give me enough time. <laughs> what did you think of the movie Interstellar? You know, you uh, I, some people have told me about it. I'm not much of a movie watcher. Um, I looked into it a little bit because they felt that what was being uh, ex- explained there was very much like my super geometric theory. Yeah. And there are certain aspects of it that resemble it. Uh, but there are certain aspects of it that just simply, you know, have no scientific uh, uh, relationship to my work. Again, uh, if I had to say one thing, if you take a look at Interstellar and all the things that were manifested in it, it was all material, materialistic. There was always a physical cause and effect, no matter how spectacular the physical cause and effect were, was. True, yeah. There was no representation that these things were occurring outside of what is physical. 
And so right there, it, it was, there's a complete disconnect between them. Yeah. Well, Thomas, uh, just real quick before we, before we let you go, uh, where can people get your book and where can they contact you? Uh, when d- does your show play? All that well, good stuff. Yes. Okay. Well, the show is on IPBN network. That's right. <laughs> uh, it is. <laughs> I wish I could get that kind of rise when I'm doing my show. Uh, it's called shifting paradigms. It's live Tuesday night at 9 p- 9 PM Eastern. Uh, and it runs for an hour. Uh, as far as my book behind a cosmic veil, all about it, where to get it, introductory articles to it, sample, a sample chapter and, and my essays and all that. You can find everything at www.cosmicveil.com. Spell V-E-I-L, CosmicVail.com. And uh, if you want to uh, rub elbows with me personally, come join us in, in Minneapolis at the uh, Paradigm Symposium October 1st through 4th. And you'll be able to see the whole dog and pony show then. That's right. We'll be there too. So we're planning on it. <laughs> yes, right. sure to take your red pill before you go. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you, Thomas. This has been very enlightening. I don't think we even really scratched the surface, but uh, we'd love to have you back on to talk a little more depth into some of these things sometimes. So just uh, let us know if you ever want to do that. Oh, it sounds like fun, guys. I tell everybody the same thing. If you want me back on, just, uh, uh, you know, uh, write me a message. I'll be right on there and uh, uh, we'll, we'll, we could probably go eight to 10 hours on this stuff. Yeah, we really could. Yeah, stay on the line for us. We're going to close this out. You guys, any questions that you have? Or I'm I'm right, trying to wrap my brain around. Yeah, it. me too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Thomas, stay on the line for us. We're going to close out this segment, and we'll be right back on Conspiracy Normal. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Did you guys hear that EVP? Man, I don't know, what, what was that? <laughs> I don't know, but I got I got this feeling, and I just trust my feelings. <laughs> yeah, it could be something from the spiritual realm, right? It's nothing to do with science. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. Uh, real quick, before we talk about anything else, what did you guys think of uh, Thomas Fusco? He's, uh, I felt like I was back in math class again. And that you were paying attention. In high school, yeah. <laughs> I kind of got caught up in Facebook. Yeah. In <laughs> <laughs> drawing things. Drawing yeah. <laughs> pictures. No, no, seriously, though. Like he, he's got some really good points. Um, you know, even uh, all of us are guilty of not always using logic, but rather just yeah. uh, we get these fantastical ideas in our head and we just kind of go off on a tangent. Right, kind of like my brother does. <laughs> well, you said it. He re- he really he really throws down the he really throws down the gauntlet though, man. On the on the on the paranormal investigators, and, and and you know, for the record, you know, not not everybody out there is is looking for fame, and there are people out there that genuinely love the work, and they really want to they really want to do it, they really want to add something to it, and just people out there just just do it just to just to have fun, or they feel like they're helping people too. You know, like we had, uh, what's her name, Donna Parrish Bischoff on, you know, and she was talking about that and some of her experiences. A lot of people are, you know, they're kind of just tired of the whole paradrama thing, mm-hmm. you know. It just, it, it's it, over. It's played out. Yeah, it really it really is. Rob, what do you think, man? Well, yeah, I mean, I, as far as the whole 
paranormal investigators. I, I, I agree with them that it's just they're just generating all of this um, data, but nothing. Don't really have any kind of framework to apply it to. Right. And yeah, it's just a collection of data, really, mm-hmm. and there's not there's not enough. Yeah, it, I think some of it is your perspective. Now, for me, you know, when I hear EVPs, there are some of them that I think, oh, that's just kind of stupid, and there are some that are pretty convincing. And just the fact that those are out there might make me think that, you know, there could be something to that. You know, there could be something to, like, the existence of ghosts or or some of the pictures that are taken. Mm. So it just depends on what the level that you're willing, I think, that you're willing to accept. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of... Absolutely. There's a lot of fakery out there, too. And especially with, like, the whole psychic realm and, 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 and all this stuff. I watched a documentary not too long ago about the amazing Randy. Who was the, who is a, a, a magician that made it his life's work to expose people's fakery. Cause he said, you know, like the one big one that he did was a uh, Yuri Geller, the guy who could bend the spoons yeah, with his mind. Okay. And he, he, he set out to expose him as a fake. And he said, look, if I can reproduce what Yuri Geller does by bending spoons and he could do it. He did it on national television. The amazing Randy did. He said, then. He's just using the same thing, the same like idea of mentalism or sleight of hand that I'm using, except I'm telling you that what I'm using, and he's lying to you and saying that it's right. a, that it's psychic ability. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's guys like well, like Chris Angel, like he doesn't believe in like psychic ability. He thinks that if it can be reproduced by sleight of hand, then then it's probably then it's sure probably fake. Good at it too. Yeah, well, exactly. One one thing that I really like. Is whenever you ask him about Interstellar, uh, yeah, he, he made the point that, um, and, and I agree. Like I haven't seen many movies where people actually go internal, you know, like into their minds rather than it all being physical and material things that's happening. Yeah, and I've always wanted to kind of see more of that because, like, the mind. If you think about horror films and stuff like that, what's even scarier than someone you know chasing you with a butcher knife or whatever is, is like things that come from your own mind yeah it's what you don't like, yeah, see products your own psychosis or exactly. your own psychology because yeah. i mean you, you know that you, uh, we all know that uh there's some crazy people out there that you know with serious mental conditions that kind of black out and they aren't themselves anymore and like things right. happen like why they're blacked out and stuff like that and that's a lot scarier than some physical person coming after you with a knife you know yeah i agree have you seen interstellar rob i have um and I'm not sure I agree with all of the sciencey bits of it. It's a good story. Yeah, yeah. But the the main thing, and you know, like like you know, spoiler <laughs> alert here, Luke. So I've already yeah. seen it, dude. Oh, you've seen it? Yeah. Okay. Well, like you know, he goes into that black hole, right? And do you have like in the very beginning, like they think that there's a ghost in that room, the gravitational and, anomaly. Yeah, and it, what turns out to be the ghost was actually him being able to go into this black hole and he's seeing all the time periods at once. So it kind of is similar to what Thomas was talking about in that he's outside of space time in a way, but not quite because Thomas is making the point that everything that's, that's in that is physical. And what Thomas is talking about is kind of like an abstraction. Yeah. Yeah. But there's no way to represent that in film other than the way they did it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So when I saw that, I was just like, wow, that's in any, and there's someone else that we know that I said, you know, you got to see this movie. 
because you know this is exactly I think really explains could explain like the paranormal and what it is. But uh, I want to talk about what happened in Chattanooga on Thursday. And like I said before at the beginning of the show, I'm from Chattanooga. I was born there. I lived the first 23 years of my life there before I moved to Atlanta and then later here back to Tennessee to Nashville. And I've lived in Nashville now for about 13, about 12 years. So I haven't lived in Chattanooga for 15 years. So if anybody doesn't know, what happened was this guy uh, came to, to a Navy recruitment center and got out of his car and went, pulled out an AR-15 and started riddling the front of the store with bullets. And it wasn't just a Navy recruitment center. It was different recruitment areas. Uh, like the, I think the Army, Marine, Army was there, Air Force, blah, blah, blah. Similar to what we have here. Uh, we have one here in Nashville, too. Everybody has one of these. He left there, and I don't know whether the cops were pursuing him. I heard different kind of things on this, whether they were actually pursuing him, but he managed to go to this Naval Reserve Center where he rammed the gates at this Naval Reserve Center and pulled out his weapon and started shooting, and apparently he killed four Marines. And there was someone else that died a couple of days ago, uh, well, we're recording this on Sunday. I think they passed away on Friday that would die to their wounds. And I think they were from that Naval recruitment office. The Chattanooga police came in and there was a, there's a river park that runs along the Tennessee river. I've been there like a thousand times, uh, came in, cornered the guy. And there's some confusion as to whether either he shot himself or he committed suicide by cop. Which more than likely, I think that they that they got him. Okay, apparently a cop was wounded in the middle of that. Uh, man, this thing made national news. This thing was all over the world. In fact, my wife found out about it because she was talking to her sister in Brazil. <laughs> Whoa. Okay, and later on in the day, uh, I actually went on for about five minutes with uh, Rocky. And Scotty and John Ward on their situation room talking about it. Cause I just mentioned to Scotty on Facebook, oh, not Scotty, Rocky on Facebook. I said, you know, by the way, that's my hometown. And he uh, sends me a text back later on and says, do you want to come on the show? And I was like, sure, I'll come on for about five minutes. And we talked about it. And come to find out, I just found out at that point that the guy was a Muslim. And when I, I called my parents, because I didn't really know what was going on, I saw some rumors on Facebook, I saw some uh, things on the news, and I called my, my parents, and I was like, you know, what's going on down there? You know, are you guys okay? You know, they live right outside Chattanooga, so really, you know, they were miles away from whatever happened. But uh, my dad was just speculating that it could have been just like a, a veteran Maybe a veteran that was got screwed over by the military, maybe had a, maybe was disgruntled and just took it out on these, took it out on these people. Not really knowing about the Naval Reserve Center at the time. 
And I was like, yeah, he's probably right. It's probably all it is. Nobody had said anything about anybody being dead on the news. And then later it came out that the four Marines were dead. And then later on I find out that it's a Muslim guy. It's incidentally went to the same college that I went to. Really? <laughs> yeah. UTC, University of Tennessee at Chattanooga. You're just seeming more and more like a terrorist every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's what I'm saying, man. It's like it, 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 it hits home to me just because of the familiarity of it. You know? Mm-hmm. I mean, it would be the same. Like, if something happened here in Hermitage, right? I mean, we, that would be even more shocking. But for me to see the words, you know, Lee Highway and Amnicola Highway and the Tennessee River Park, all these things that I've known most of my life and are very, very familiar with, to see that on the national and on the international news just blew my mind. <laughs> okay? Now, there's been a lot of speculation on why this guy did this. Um, now I'm going to say this just as a statement of fact, not necessarily as that, you know, I'm against Muslims or anything like that because I'm not, but apparently this guy, this kid really, the guy was like 24 years old and it seems to be around this age, right? 19 to 24, 25, that these these things seem to be happening, that he decided to follow this commandment that was taken out by ISIS that they said that you need to, that they were calling on young Muslim men to pull off attacks or individuals to pull off attacks in countries. There wasn't any kind of link with ISIS. I don't think there was any kind of like, you know, somebody from ISIS called him up and said, you need to do this now. He was just heeding this call. And apparently few months ago, back in April, he had had a DUI, and <clears throat> there were some mugshots from the guy from that. So, what I wonder is, is whether he just, all of a sudden, maybe he felt like he didn't have any hope. Maybe he tried to enlist into the Marines, or into the Army, or the Navy, and they turned him down because of the DUI. And he just put everything together and said, okay, well, I'm going to die. And actually, the last day, and significantly on the last day of Ramadan, he decided to do that hmm. and go ahead and uh, go out in a blaze of glory and try to do something for all of them. <clears throat> okay. I mean, what's tough? I, I kind of feel guilty for not knowing more about the Muslim culture because I don't want to ever kind of come off as, you know, ignorant or whatever. Sure. I know that, like we talked about on the show before, you know, ISIS and other, like, extremist uh, Muslims are this tiny little percentage <laughs> of, of the Muslim no population, idea. but I don't know how tied together they all are and how, you know, how influential something like that yeah. would be to somebody living well, here that grew up here that is, just happens to be Muslim. Yeah. Well, I mean, here's this guy. He lives in the United States. He lives in Chattanooga. He apparently lives in a really nice house because they showed aerial shots of the house. And I, the neighborhood where he lives, I, I know of the neighborhood. I know it's a fairly, like, upper-middle-class neighborhood. So we're not talking about, like, you know, Dylan Roof living in the trailer park. He had an engineering you, you know, degree, right? He had an engineering degree. Yeah. He graduated with an engineering degree from UTC. And all of a sudden, he just decides to go ahead and go ahead and do this. Another interesting thing is I brought up 
the Dylan Roof thing. That's the kid that killed the, the people in the church in Charleston. Well, remember after that, and it hasn't been that long ago, you know, banned the Confederate flag, the gun control meme came out again. You know, where's that with this? What are we going to ban for this? Where's the, where's, is Obama saying anything about gun control on this one? No. So it's like, it seems to me that it's very similar, right? Dylan Roof did the, killed these black people mm-hmm. in this church because he had a racist hate for black people. He had an ideological, quasi-religious viewpoint about what he felt, how the world should be. This kid, this Muhammad Abdul Aziz, same thing, right? Fundamentalists apparently have become radicalized, steeped in this fundamentalist Islam, and decided to, his, what he was going to direct his hate was towards American servicemen. Okay? Same result, they both killed people. But on this Chattanooga shooting, where's the outrage of the gun control? Where is it? You know, it seems like if you're going... So that really reveals how Obama and the people in his administration, how inconsistent they they, they are. It's like they'll use something like what happened with Dylan Roof for a political agenda, but this they won't touch it with a 10-foot pole. The only gun control thing that you're really hearing is about... Whether or not the servicemen on these bases should have, should be armed. And at the Naval Reserve, at these reserve centers, or these, uh, these, uh, recruitment centers, the, that they should be armed. It's funny because that's the first thing that went through my mind was, yeah. How is there not a swarm of people firing back? Right. 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 Yeah. Well, one thing of the, one thing about it is, is though, I think it probably happened so fast. Yeah. That, you know, he, he went to the first place, shot it up. Probably zipped over to the other place. And, and, and I know these places. They're not that far from each other. Especially in the middle of the afternoon. You can get from one to the other fairly quickly. Okay, when there's no traffic. And he went to the other place and barreled through the gates and just started shooting. So even if they had guns, there might not have even been time to even react. He might have taken two out instead of four. End result still the same. You still kill somebody. You still take somebody's life. Uh, incidentally, I don't know if anybody else has made this connection, but there was an incident in France back in May where this young Muslim guy, again, rammed through a gate at his work. Previously, he had kidnapped his boss, cut his head off, ran through the gate at his work, uh, started shooting posted the guy's head on the fence and the cops later took him out. So, you know, what happened is very similar, you know, running, ramming through the gate. It's, it's very similar. And all this occurred also after this, uh, this, this beach on Tunisia that was attacked by this kid with an AK 47 that took out like 30 something people, but all like holiday goers, mostly from the UK and killed a whole bunch of people. So, this, all this to say, well, all this to say that these are individual people 
These are extremists. These are fundamentalists. Whether you're a Dylan Roof or whether you're a Muhammad Abdul Aziz, really, essentially, they are no different from each other. They are both extremists. Blinded they are both fundamentalists. They're both blinded by hate. And if we're going to say that all Muslims or all Arabs are the same way, that's wrong. Now, here's something that somebody sent me. Uh, and I'll, we're going to end here pretty soon, guys. I know you got to go, Luke, but. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I need to re-up on Sabir, man. This is, uh. Trying my patience. This is a, this is a post from a friend of mine's Facebook that he, he sent me. Picture of Muhammad Abdul Aziz with his family standing in front of a bridge that I know very well and a riverboat that I know very well. It says, take a long look. He murdered four Marines today. His family, of course, are pretending to be Americans. A Muslim cannot be an American or a citizen of any country. They are Muslims only as ordered by the Quran, the Hadith and Sharia law. Go ahead, America. Just keep being fooled by the deceit of Islam and your children and grandchildren will have no future in your own country. So, this guy that posted this is essentially, in my opinion, no better than the guy who perpetrated those crimes. Because he's going to come at it as, well... I'll hate him and let's kill him all. I'll hate him and let's kill Kill him all. Kill him all, let God sort him out. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) At the same time, I do want to tell you guys this. I've been in communication with this guy that uh, loves the show. We'll give him a shout out. Uh, he was telling me he's he lives in Australia right now, but he's from Germany, and he was telling me about Germany and what's going on there. And he said that there that that the immigration has just gotten absolutely ridiculous, and even more so in Europe. There's more of a, there's more of this idea of, they're, they're more, the Muslim fundamentalists are more organized over there than the, much more than they are here. A lot of people here come to the United States for opportunity and they get that opportunity. Over in Europe, they go into their little insular groups and they begin to, they, they, they don't have as much opportunity there because they're, they're, they come from like, uh, I, I guess in many ways, like a poor place than in, in the, uh, I'm probably not explaining this very well in, in like Northern Africa, those areas. Okay. The Middle East. And those people do have organized and they have, uh, started to say, you know, that they want Sharia law in their, in their countries that they're, that they're in, that they want their own communities. Well, this guy was telling me about how people in Germany are, are really getting scared about this. Okay. And they're really getting to the point where they're starting to want to take up arms against these people. And there's been riots going on. He was telling me about this small little town in Germany, very nice little beautiful town. And he was saying that there was this, this riot that went on that you're just not going to hear about in, like the normal, like in like English press, you know, the, the, the article he sent me was in German. Okay. So there is that going on too. And I really fear that we're coming into a world guys where 
people are starting to take sides and people are starting to really divide into these different groups and into these different camps. It's like extremism is just becoming the norm now. Not only that, but it fe- feels like it's being fueled by the media and possibly yeah. and public oh, definitely, government. Right. Definitely. Right. It's like, to, let's point this out at this opportune moment and let's focus yeah, on I, this yep. for three weeks. I think the ultimate goal is to get for the media to, to get us to kill each other off. <laughs> it's almost, yeah. It feels, yeah. It feels like that, yeah. There you go. It's like, it's like the uh, Georgia Guidestone guys, you know, it's like they're, their, their, their plan there is to get everybody to turn up, turn against each other. And it, people are becoming more and more divided over religion. And you're seeing, you're, you're starting to see in this country a real backlash. You know, we've been talking about some of this with Rocky that we talked about this a little bit with him. And he's been talking about a lot of it, but you're starting to see a lot of different groups organizing with each other. Okay. And. My fear is, is that we're going to end up in a situation much like pre-Nazi Germany, where you had the communists on one side, fundamentalist ideologues, and the Nazi stormtroopers, the SA on the other side, openly battling each other in the street. And the moderate voices were so weak, and they were just so screamed out, that eventually one of those sides, they're equally as bad as the other, right. took over the country. And I'm afraid that we're going to see that happen here. And these these events keep going and these reactions keep happening. You're already seeing people armed in front of Navy because of the Chattanooga shooting. People are already armed in front of military recruitment centers because they feel like the people that are supposed to be protecting them can't protect themselves as their justification. But also at the same time, they're defending it from another group that wants to do them harm. Yep. Crazy messed up world, guys. Hope all that made sense. Yeah, yeah, it did. Well, anyway. My my plan is to just uh, bail out to this uh, secret location. Yeah, yeah, we do. We have a bunker in a secret location in the country ready for me to go to. Yeah. And, it, uh, and it, I've already got the stockpile of ammo and guns, and we're ready to go. Well, I mean, it, it, it seems like the, it seems like almost like battle lines are being drawn, and it's, uh, it's getting scary. Yeah. No, and for some, for someone that is not, you know, I don't consider myself a fundamentalist. I think, you know, we're talking to Thomas, we kind of established that. But like the, the voices that are reasonable are saying that are being drowned out. You know, William Butler Yeats in the second, in his poem, The Second Coming said the, the, I can't remember the exact line, but you know, the, the best are, are, uh, are sublimated or something like that or, or, or underground while the, what the, he said, while the worst are full of passionate intensity and that's what's going on. You know, it, it, it's becoming more and more like this kid, Muhammad Abdulaziz, when he figured out that, you know, what he had, to, the, when somehow in his mind, he figured out what he had to live for was to do this heinous act, kill these people, kill himself you know, what what kind of world are is are we is happening here? Where are we going? 
Yeah. All right, that was sufficiently depressing. Um, <laughs> we're going to be taking a break. I'm going on vacation. These guys are going to do whatever they do. Luke's yeah. going to do whatever he does. You know where I'll be. In his bunker. My favorite bar. Or... <laughs> what? I do like to go out on my, to my bunker on weekends. Right, exactly. So, everybody, just be careful out there. And uh, we'll be, be back. Be nice to each other. Yeah, that? be nice to each other. How about that? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. The risk of sounding like a heavy. <laughs> go ahead. We need some action. Go, go right. pull someone's hair and push them down. And then make fun of their gods. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. We'll be back in about three weeks. We're going to have Walter Bosley come back on. we got some good shows scheduled up. So, uh, thanks for listening. And uh, we'll be back in a few weeks on... Conspiranormal! Wires in the sleep tape.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.